for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Friday, everybody. Today is July, I just said it, 25th? No, not 25th. 21st. 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 July 21st. Wow, here we go. It is episode 311. Like I said, Friday, July 21st. That's what David said. I thought it was the 25th. But uh, we are here. It is Friday. It is a feel-good Friday episode. And uh, we haven't done one of these in a little while. I'm trying to get over uh, cold. That's been haunting me for the last week and i just cannot kick it but uh i'm your host aaron blasey and with me as always my co-host david riley so dj what's going on man not much buddy i uh i've been feeling a little better than you have this last week you know you've had that summer cold and every day when we talk i i can hear it in your voice and you keep saying that you know that it, it sounds worse than how you feel but every day i can hear that it's gradually gotten better but it sounds like to me that it just wasn't nothing a little NyQuil couldn't take care of. Cap full of NyQuil, baby. Just pop that bad boy. Full cap, too. There's no lines on that cap. It's full Mm-mm. cap right down the gullet and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and I tell you what, you want a good night's rest? Like you, you take that NyQuil, pop the top off, take a big swig out of it, and you will sleep like a baby outside if like your if your fire alarms or something is going off during the night, you're probably not going to sleep that well. But if I uh, all is... All... <laughs> I'm like, where are you headed with this? And I'm like, oh shit, that was me. <laughs> that was you. That was you. Yeah, you cannot take, uh, you know, don't take, don't fill your cheeks up with NyQuil and go to bed and then, you know, if your fire alarms are going off during the middle of the night, like you, the one thing about NyQuil, you pretty much have to have eight hours of sleep to yeah. really sleep it off. Because otherwise, boy, <laughs> you feel a little slow the next day. Uh, I want to dive into this real quick because David is right. Uh, a couple nights ago, two o'clock in the morning, all of a sudden, my wife and I get woke up to all of our fire alarms going off in the house. So 
you go from a cap full of NyQuil, okay, that you're just in a dead sleep, hard sleep, to your wife saying, what is going on? And me getting up going, I don't know. (laughs) You know, you and I talked about how, you know, those situations like that, you both are like my wife and I were talking about the other night where we were both asking each other questions that nobody had the answers to. Like, you know, like what's going on? I don't know. We're (laughs) fighting this together. I have no idea. So I'm running through the house and trying to find if there's a fire. Okay. I go into my daughter's bedroom first. She is sleeping. I mean, we're talking fire alarms going off and she is just suck holing it. Just not a care in the world. I'm like, all right, so there's no fire in here. I I run downstairs, checking everything. Nothing. Okay, clear the house that there's no fires. (laughs) And we're in the kitchen, and my wife's on one side of the island, and I'm on the other side, and we're still kind of freaking out. And I'm like, is it hazy in here? Like, there's a hate. I'm like, is there smoke haze? And she goes, I go, is it hazy or is it my eyes? And she goes, it's your eyes, Aaron. (laughs) Okay. You're you're NyQuil drunk still. (laughs) Oh, I was too, man. And. Long story short, it come to find out that one of our, so all of our detectors, our smoke alarms and everything are wired into the house with battery backups. Well, one of the batteries was dead and it triggered all of them going off and false alarm. But at 2 a.m., holy shit, jump out of bed. <laughs> what, what's going on? Like, yeah, I think, that's, I, mean, I-, I think that's how divorces happen too. Cause the questions <laughs> that you ask each other are just like, are you dumb? You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's funny because not that I know the exact situation, but like I've been woken up like that at night out of the out of the blue like that, you know, and it's like for, you have it takes like a good five to ten seconds to figure out what you're hearing. And then when you do, it's like then you stand up and you almost stand there for a second. And you're like, where the hell am I? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah. like you're in your own, your own damn house and it's, you have to like get your bearings straight. Then when someone's trying to like talk to you and ask you something, you're like, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's what my wife and I were doing. She would ask me a question. I'd be like, I don't know. And then I would ask her a question and she'd be like, no, I, I don't know. Like it's, you're just still sleeping. <laughs> I started to God, my body was still laying in bed and my head was walking around somewhere. I don't know. It was, I'm just glad there was no fire. Yeah. hey man it's uh the week's over with it's friday in a week from now we'll uh we'll be having a good time at the uh at the uh hunt show coming up yep mobile hunters expo is coming up a week from today and and that's who we have on today is chris leppert the owner founder creator of the mobile hunters expo and this is actually going to be in kalamazoo michigan so it's going to start friday next friday a week from today if you're listening to this um next friday it's going to start from three until go till Eight, I believe, and then Saturday yeah. all day, and then Sunday most of the day. But we'll, there's details at the end of this podcast all about it. It's twenty dollars to get in if you want to buy a ticket when you go there. Anybody can come. You can bring whoever you want. It's all general admission. And if you wanna, if you want order the um, tickets online, you can save two dollars by going to the mobilehuntersexpo.com. You can save two dollars there. So. Check. It's going to be really cool. Dan Infault's going to be there speaking, Garrett Prawl, Sam uh, Ubel, and then Dieter Kocken, I think. He's from the UP. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. So all all guys that uh, very, very much established as good deer hunters and, and successful and, and great speakers. So um, if anything, come in and listen to those guys as they do the seminars. So David, 
actually is going to be part of, and me, myself as well, possibly uh, hosting the seminars. And then Saturday night, we are doing a Latitude, second annual Latitude Film Festival. It starts at four and goes till six. Like going to be a lot of door prizes and uh, there's going to be a lot of cool films. So if you guys want to come Saturday for the show and then watch the film festival, that'd be freaking awesome. And uh, we'll be there as Latitude as well with a booth and you guys can check out the sticks if you haven't seen them. They'll be available for purchase there. I don't know if we'll have any on hand, but uh, to be able to order them there, I believe we can do that. So that's just kind of basically it, it, in today's episode, it's not all about the Mobile Hunters Expo. I mean, we dive into Chris and who he is and we talk, I mean, it gets into a good conversation, a conversation mm-hmm. I didn't think we were going to have, honestly. And it, it, I got a little passionate here a couple of times, you know, it, it was fun, <laughs> you know, so it was, it was a great conversation, dude. I, I was as much as I knew we were coming on here to, you know, kind of, uh, help with the, uh, the mobile hunters expo, like. That first hour of that conversation was solid, dude. It was yeah. solid deer talk for sure. Yeah, and and to to kind of forecast the the near future, we got a couple guests coming on. So a lot of people have been asking about when Troy Pottinger is going to come back on. We are he his episode will be dropping here in the next couple weeks. We finally got schedules lined up where we could do that. So we'll have another episode coming with him. But also we've had a couple di- like diamonds in the rough that not a lot of people have heard about. I have one that has never been on a podcast that has killed absolute giants consistently. A good friend of mine, and I've tried to have him on the podcast in the past, and it's just kind of been hesitant. Well, he is coming on, and it is going to be a unbelievable uh, podcast. I know it is. And just a little precursor, he had a hand in hunting the great Hambino as I did. So he was just as part of that as I was. So. Um, it's gonna be really cool. I know we'll probably talk about that a little bit, but he ki- he's killed giants. Um, and it, it, he's got so much knowledge. He forgot more about deer than I probably have ever learned. So, um, but I know he's never been on a podcast. So, we'll be first first one to shake him out here. So it'll it'll yeah. be good. I'm looking forward to that one, buddy. Looking forward to it. Yep. So. Let's keep some lights on here. I've got a big announcement, and it's going to be coming here in a little bit. Not right now, but uh, big announcement, so don't flip forward here. But uh, go to fallpodcast.com, our website, and uh, buy some merch, please. We've got a couple hats, hoodies, shirts, T-shirts, everything. It's starting to get a little cooler out. I know we're in July, but you know it is getting kind of cool out. I'm not going to lie. So uh, go there, fallpodcast.com, and buy some merch, please. Also, right now, tonight will be, uh, now I've got my, Grit doesn't go live tonight. It's a hunt recap. It's the Michigan hunt recap. So last week, uh, Grit episode two, Latitudes Grit on Latitudes YouTube channel went live. Kevin shot a buck on the public land hunt that we were both on. We tracked it with them and everything and, and filmed it. So that was a great experience and it was cool to watch. Uh, but tonight there'll be a hunt recap going live on that, uh, hunt. So check that out next Friday. will be part two of grit and that'll be Alex's, uh, his excursion and our three mile track job. So, uh, mm-hmm. set your alarms for that and, uh, um, watch that next Friday. So do that. Staying on the latitude, go to latitudeoutdoors.com and use the code, the fall podcast to get uh, some, save yourself some money on sticks, uh, method two saddles, trying to get some method twos out. 
Uh, people have been asking a lot about them and what they should go with, the Classic 2 or the Method 2. Classic 2 is a very good single-panel saddle, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you towards the Method 2. The, the, the two-panel, so comfortable, um, so adjustable, and just, in my opinion, is, is the best saddle out there. I mean, you would have to agree, wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, it's it. You know the the part of me that enjoys saddle hunting so much is being a minimalist. And that the the method two, the two panel saddle is just that. You know, is the the profile on it is lean and mean. Like when when those when the two panels are are put together, which that's actually how I hunt out of mine. When they're the two are put together with the magnets, and you're walking in and out. I mean, it's barely bigger than basically like a a belt on you mm-hmm. yeah it's just kind of like a a little oversized belt to be honest with you mm-hmm. that's what it feels like really but yeah i mean check out the method too check out the sticks check out if you need any ropes carabiners you know anything like that go to latitudeoutdoors.com and use the code the fall podcast all one word all lowercase um and save some money helix broadheads next i'm going to shoot the fj4s this year they have the fj2s which i've shot in the past awesome broadhead single bevel but this year I'm shooting the FJ4s, which I did last year, and it was a prototype. So it's got the bleeders. We're talking a single bevel broadhead. I'm shooting 125 grain with the bleeders. Now, what broadhead are you shooting this year, or what one are you gonna go with? I'm going FJ4, no doubt, no how, doubt. How in my big? Mind. How big? The 100 grain, 100, 100 grain, grain broadhead. Yep, yep, yep. They've been. I mean, my whole rig right now, Aaron, is just shooting phenomenal. Like. The confidence is is very high, very high right now, and I know it's the backyard, but I I actually have a tree out here set up for to be able to set up a saddle and a platform in to shoot out of, and you know whether I like to do I I usually run two uh, field points and then a broadhead, so I'm I'm using a uh, FJ4 broadhead on on the practice arrows. I like the three arrow setup, and I just shoot those you know tight groups, hitting where I want. But yeah, 100 grain, FJ4, that's what's going on at the end of my arrow this fall. Yeah, eh, I couldn't, I, I, I can't agree more with you. And if you guys want to try them out and save some money, use the code FALLHX10 at helixbroadheads.com and uh, go try them out because you can get a pack of three or you can get a pack of one if you just want to try it out and just have one sent to your house. I recommend getting three pack and just rolling with them because they're accurate. They penetrate like a mother scratcher, and they're dependable. And what else can you ask for in those? And when, when you're at, when you're talking about the business end of the arrow, that's what you're looking for. So, uh, helixbroadheads.com. Use the code FALLHX10. Exodus Outdoor Gear. So we're running the rivals, and I've I have some renders as well. But I'm telling you what, the rival is slowly becoming my favorite cell cam that they offer, and I really like it. I have a code TF. Use the code TF. And right now they're kicking off, Exodus is kicking off Velvet Fest. So they do a thing, hashtag Velvet Fest every year. So if you guys are getting any footage or any pictures or anything and you want to you know, put them on social, tag Exodus and type in there, hashtag Velvet Fest in there. And uh, it's just something that they do every year. And I think it's really cool because I like to call it the Velvet Rut. Uh, but same thing, you know, it's it's a fun time of the year. My One of my favorite times of the year, driving around and, and uh, looking at the bucks, which uh, I found one, found yeah. one. But, uh, I like yeah, it. Yeah, he looks yeah. good. He looks yeah. good. The, you know, there, there's, there's a little part of me that, like, even though 
you know, our seasons somewhat never end. That technically January is like a brand new season. But every time like I see Exodus launch their Velvet Fest, it almost feels like, okay, season's here. Like this is it. You know what I mean? So when they launch that Velvet Fest, got the cameras out there over the scrapes, getting those, you know, those velvet bucks on there. It's like, here we go. This is a brand new year. Let's go. Yep, for sure. So, and if you go to exodusoutdoorgear.com, sign up for their newsletter because you'll be one of the first ones to see if they have new stuff, stuff coming out, their content, um, anything launching, their their newsletter, they put a lot of info in there. So go to exodusoutdoorgear.com and uh, use the code TF to save some money on if you want to buy cameras, accessories, arrows, anything, use that code, go there. They have a five-year warranty on their cameras and their their customer service, in my opinion, and what I've heard from a lot of other people is second to none. It's top-notch customer service. So go check them out, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Next one is Garmin. Garmin, Garmin, getting a lot of, co- I've got a lot of questions on Garmin bow sights and People just vetting, vetting, vetting it out, you know, like, wh- give me the skinny on them. Uh, the skinny is, is that it just builds confidence and you're, you know, at the moment of truth and you go to full draw and it makes you a better shooter because it corrects your form. Any torquing, I just had a conversation with a buddy uh, two days ago on this. He called me. He's like, hey, man, he's like, that Garmin, he's like, that'll, that'll tell you if, it, if you're torquing or not and i said yeah i said it's got a reticle with a with a circle around it in there if that doesn't line up when you go back to full draw you're torquing your bow your your grip is off he's like okay he's like i got a really bad torquing issue right now that might be an option where you know he would was seriously considering buy one just so he knew his form was going to be like solid every time so um i i just can't say enough about these things they're built well they're built well they and one of the one of the things I, bugs I want to squash is people are like they look heavy and I'm like why don't you pick one up they're really not any heavier than like another site like a fast Eddie XL or you know an HHA or anything like that they're really not that heavy and cumbersome they might look like that but they're not uh, mm. we sh- we're shooting the A1I Pros this year which are micro adjust XD mode you can save five arrow profiles you can. Um, it really doesn't matter for David because he's colorblind, but you can make it uh, green or red pin. You can adjust them however you want. Um, I would check them out at Garmin.com and or check out you know at your local Garmin dealer. And uh, don't forget about their watches as well. They make some awesome watches. So Garmin.com, check those out. This is the big announcement right here, Buck Bourbon. So we partnered with Buck Bourbon this year. With the ground blinds, but one of their biggest things that they had coming out that had just went live on their website, which to me is a pretty cool deal. BuckBourbon.com, go there. And they just launched a new food plot seed line. Okay, so it's called Top Shelf. They have a brassica mix, they have a clover mix, and then they have a clover chicory mix. Now, I got, I was, I was, fortunate enough to get some of this stuff like literally you know when they sent it to me it was so such in the infancy stages that and it was so hush hush because you know they were they weren't ready to go live with it yet as far as the assets they needed to get and their ducks in a row and all that stuff i they literally just bagged up each one in three individual bags and was like you know use this and get some content so i put a spring food plot in okay now 
if <laughs> it if you live in Michigan or in the region that we're in, you know that we had maybe a drought this year. Did you do you think we had a drought this year? <laughs> June was uh we were hurt in June, buddy. We were hurt yeah. pretty bad. Yeah, and it was like a three month stint almost. I mean, April twenty eighth, I think, was the last time we got rain until you know, middle of June, maybe. So not quite three months, but it was bad. Bad, bad. Yeah. Yeah. I should I may even be talking end of June, early July ish before yeah. you know, I, I think about when the grass started greening up and it was like fourth of July time. Yeah, it well, we went on vacation on June twenty first, I think it was. And when we were coming back home that next Sunday or Monday, we were like praying for rain. So yeah, it was probably end of June around that time mm-hmm. frame. Yep. Anyway, planted this food plot and uh, went out and checked it. I mean, last week, holy crap, like in the drought conditions, I got pictures. I'll post pictures on, on uh, Instagram, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, we, we got no rain and this stuff came up really well. And what I did was I actually combined like couple of the mixes together and just put it all out. And all I did was mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't put any fertilizer, no nothing on it. Um, I'm more of the, I don't know if you want to call it a ghetto food plotter that I, I'm going to work the ground up. I'm going to get good seed to soil. I'm going to work the, the seed in, but that's about it. That's, that's all we're going to do. And when I can get a good stand of it and the deer eating the shit out of it, I like that. So, um, and that's exactly what's happening right now. So if you go to buckbourbon.com, and check out their food plot seed. And uh, I have a code and their their rack house blinds because their blinds, I have one of their blinds and was using that for um, turkey season. And uh, the blinds are awesome, especially with little kids. But use the code TFP20 at buckbourbon.com. Try out some food plot seed. Now they've got good fall mixes. That's I'm about ready to put in some fall food plots. There's going to be a one in the one acre. so. It's getting to be that time where you need to be getting seed in the ground here soon. So um, go to buckbourbon.com and uh, check those out. We are going to have George, the owner and founder of Buck Bourbon, on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. I know George personally. He's a really good guy. He's from Kentucky. This is where the seed was basically birthed was in Kentucky. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a believer so far with it. We'll see. I mean, according to my spring plot that's, you know, was went through a drought, it's, it's doing really well. So um, check them out. Lastly, I got two Prime. So if you guys are looking for a new bow, Prime Archery, G5Prime.com. Go check out the RevX 2. And lastly, AVB, America's Best Bow Strings. If you guys are looking for a new string, you're like, oh shit, got some fraying going on on your old string and need a new one or something like that, check out uh, America's Best Bow Strings at America's Best Bow Strings.com. Use the code the fall. Now, I've got a story, and I was telling you this. And I'm, I swear, guys, we're going to wrap this up right after this because nobody wants to hear. I, I get it. People are, like, bitching. Like, oh, hey, let's get to the interview. I get it, guys. But these guys help us, you know, get this out to you guys and 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 make make the cost a little uh, – little, I don't know what I'm trying to say. What am I trying to say? Fill, fill me in here. Fill in the blank. Help, help, help keep the uh, the wheels rolling here at the Fall Podcast, man. Yeah, it really does. It, it they are it is very helpful. So, um, the strings at America's Best Bow Strings, though. So, remember, a couple episodes ago, I was bitching about how my string came out to be 
too much like Michigan State Spartans color. So I wanted to get a new string. I was being real bougie about it. So I got a new string, okay? So I put that new string on and I've got uh I've got leagues starting next Wednesday. So I was putting off putting the new strings on my bow. So I put the new strings on my bow and I had to get it dialed in and everything like that. And I was worried because when I was paper tuning it, took two shots of paper tune it and strings were doing great. But I had to move my rest just ever so slightly to get to get it to shoot a bullet hole. I mean, not much, but a little bit. Never took my sight off the bow or anything like that. And I'm like, man, this is going to be way off. Go out there and shoot in the yard the other day. I mean, hasn't skipped a beat. Move it. I, I mean, it's just like darts. You know, I didn't have to move the sight at all. I'm like, this nice. is weird, you know. Um, so it just it's just a testament to the strings and and how well and how well they're built and, and on a consistent level. And uh, I like the Platinum series, and you're shooting the Platinum as well. But you can get a Pursuit series or a, um, oh my gosh, Platinum Pursuit, and uh, I can't remember the other one now. That's that's bad. <laughs> I can't. Bryant like, is just, listening to this right now and goes, he's he's saying it right now. I know he is. It's, it's not like premium, is it? Premium, Platinum pre- Pursuit and Premium. Yeah, so it's like a good, better, best thing. But yep, um, I recommend the the platinum so uh go check them out at america's best bowstrings.com use code the fall to save some money so there it is the lights can stay on this week um thank you for all the support and all the downloads go to go to apple iTunes, apple podcast leave a five-star rating and a written review do the same thing at spotify so thank you guys very much and here is this interview with chris leppert all right welcome back to another episode of the fall podcast and today we have got mr chris Leopard on with us, Chris. Thanks for uh, joining us today, and uh, you know, kind of dive into you and uh, you know the Mobile Hunters Expo and everything you got going on. So, thank you very much for taking the time to come on today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, this Mobile Hunters Expo. This is you're the you're you're the you're the guy. You're the <laughs> guy that started it, came up with the idea, right? You and Josh Luck. Am I not? mistaken there yep yeah we uh we thought of the idea a few years ago and um man it's it's really catching it's taken off so it's yeah been a, it's been a neat little journey for sure and i mean we're gonna get into that today but at first i do want to talk to you about who the hell you are if nobody knows who you are and you know kind of where you come from where you started you know getting into hunting all that stuff and and just kind of give us the whole story yeah. So like you said, my name's Chris Leppert. Um, grew up in Southern Ohio, had, <clears throat> had private land farms to hunt. Um, never really did a whole lot of anything different. Um, sat in the same spots all the time and all that. And I got into baiting a little bit and running cams and that seemed to help, but, uh, I just didn't like the lack of consistency there and you know you start watching these guys on youtube and they're you know some of them are crushing it and i had to kind of figure that out a little bit um got into the mobile hunting side of things back in 2018 and uh it kind of changed the entire way i thought about hunting deer i used to hunt fence rows and stuff where there's a bunch of pin oaks and for anybody that knows what a pin oak looks like, especially in farm country, it's absolutely covered 
in branches. They're the ones you always see in the fence rows. And um, I was very limited. I always used a summer climber and, um, you know, I might be able to get a couple feet off the ground, but you look like a damn minivan hanging off the side of a tree. <laughs> so I met a guy that was local to me named uh, Sean Walters, who owns um, Bullman Outdoors. He makes the silent approach steps and he let me try some with a ring of steps and a saddle and thought it was cool, but it just wasn't quite what I needed to meet my needs. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be like on a specific side of the tree and that kind of limited me a little bit. So I almost gave up the saddle thing and I ended up getting some feather light sticks from, uh, EWO and man, it, it just, it took off, um, started bouncing around all over the place. I was seeing more deer, seeing bigger and better bucks more consistently, and uh, I just I wasn't limited. So, um, you know, then I got into the one sticking game and all that. And we we come up with this um, idea to have this event where it was it was going to be a meetup. Um, basically, I wanted to be able to have a meetup for EWO, like all the saddle meetups that were going on everywhere. Right. And um, we had another guy that wanted us to put on an event for deer scoring. And this is all through our Fueled by the Outdoors Facebook group. We run a decent sized Facebook group, with like 22K uh, members. So they figured we'd be able to get the word out or whatever and organize something. And I thought, man, we should just do those together. And then immediately it clicked, like we should just invite everybody and have this really cool environment and all that. So that's kind of how that started. But as for me, man, I got into the mobile hunting thing and it's literally changed the way I, I do deer hunting. I used to sit on private all the time, have big deer. Anybody who's hunted private knows exactly what I'm about to talk about. Nighttime photos for days, eating corn at midnight and all that. And, um, was fortunate enough to get to meet a gentleman by the name of Jake Bush and learn from him, scout with him and everything. And uh, now I can't buy nighttime photos. I get deer on scrapes all day long and it's the coolest thing in the world. So it's just a little bit about me. I love to scout as my new favorite thing. So, <laughs> well, you know, you bringing up the story and how you became mobile is a lot like DJ. DJ, you know, back in what was it, 2012, DJ, when you were, you know, you just weren't happy with the results you were getting. So, guy by the name of Mr. Todd Prignitz was a big mentor for DJ and myself. Like, but you know, DJ had a conversation with them, and I don't want to talk for you. So, DJ, you talk. <laughs> you say it, but I just <laughs> no, know the it, story. So, yeah, no, when I was I was listening to your story there, Chris, it, it reminded me a lot about myself. It just might happened to be, you know, a handful of years before yours. But I look back in 2012 and you think about what mobile hunting looked like. It looked like this. It looked like a lone wolf assault, too. And it looked like a set of sticks from lone wolf. The 36 inch sticks had three steps yep. and they were, you know, one on, you know, two on one side, one on All the other. Set. And that and that was that was mobile hunting, and they they really had that market basically in a corner, you know, like that yeah. was it. But 
But I also can remember looking back at those days, you know, it, that was so that was so different to me. That that was so different from how I grew up. And and with with mobile hunting also became more of like a different style of hunting as in when I talk about style, I talk about where you're hunting and what you're kind of, you know, the features you're hunting type of thing where it's like that was a totally different game, but the one thing that I can tell you um and this is for anyone kind of that's getting just getting into mobile hunting there's no doubt there's there's work to be involved you know and and you may think well i worked i worked hard when i had my presets and there's the work to be done there too but when you start mobile hunting and you're already you know two three weeks into season and you, you know you still have two to three months ago taking your stuff down every night putting it up in the morning just in and out okay there that's a lot of work guys i'm telling you right now even you know 10 years later there's times where i'm like Dude, I gotta take all this stuff down. We're gonna do it again tomorrow morning. But when tomorrow morning rolls around, like I'm ready because I I know the results that this style of hunting can have, and I seen them quickly. And that that was gonna be one of my questions to you, Chris. It it sounded like it didn't take very long, and you could see the difference of mobile hunting. How much different that was from what you grew up doing. Yeah. Um. What's really funny too is I always wanted. I just thought of this. Um, I always wanted to sit on field's edge. You know, we were talking before we hit record about how shows in the past, you'd see guys, they're hunting in Iowa, Illinois, you know, even here in Ohio, and they're sitting on the edge of a field and 160 comes by, you know, trotting like he's never seen a human being before. And uh, that's, I never had that experience once hunting in over 20 years. And Mm -hmm. I had a buddy uh, his name's Pierce Moore. Uh, he's local to me. And he taught me basically that, you know, a big mature buck is going to use his nose to scent check something efficiently. He's not just traveling with his nose dead into the wind. Oftentimes he'll quarter in or have it quartered over his back or, you know, coming to the side. But essentially he'll cruise the downwind side of a thicket or or a field or whatever. Um, and what I've learned uh, lately learning thermals, you ever notice how those fields always enter and exit from like a sunken area, a ditch or whatever, man, they just check the whole field while they're down there. So now I go one, two, 300 yards back. I'm looking for like, uh, you know, attractive areas well away from the field. Cause again, goes back to the cams, you know, they come, it can be corn or standing corn or water or whatever. I really think that mature bucks and does, but mainly mature bucks get super finicky, nervous when they approach, you know, something like that. For whatever reason, scrapes don't seem to, they're not freaking out about that when it comes to those community scrapes. Although I, I also think that the majority of them are checked from the downwind or uh, you know, dropping or rising thermal side. They don't just walk up and, and check them unless the, in the rut, unless they attend to like work the scrape themselves. But um, yeah, man, I, I definitely, uh, it's, it's crazy to me how much things have changed uh, since hunting, you know, the same tree for two decades and wondering why the hell, you know, the deer shows up at night and, it's just crazy. So 
uh, yeah, definitely way different. I, I even remember like the first stand mobile stand that I had was an old XOP and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And now I'm like, I think it was like 13 pounds. Like that's mm-hmm. heavy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to take that now, you know, middle of the road is seven, eight pounds. So it's definitely changed a lot. Yeah. I, I can remember, you know, you talking about the weight of that stand. I can remember back in 2012 when I bought, when I bought, you know, I've told this story where it's like, I bought the stand. And at that time in my life, I couldn't afford a, a full mobile setup where I bought the stand and then I bought one stick individually throughout an entire year till the point I got to four sticks. But I'll never forget the amount of, of like my family members and friends that were like, you are going to carry that thing in in and out every time because I knew like when I when I decided to do it I have such an all or nothing personality I sold everything else I sold all my other tree stands that I had you know probably 30 some lock on tree stands where it's like they all got to go because if I have those it's going to be a crutch I'm going to go use them I just know it you know but I can always remember that people like even even today when you when you talk to people that are let's say they 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 don't know a lot about mobile hunting yet and they can't get over the fact that you have to carry that stuff in and out with you every hunt. Like you're going to do that every time. It's like, yeah, I sure am, you know, but I tell you what, the one thing I always remember looking back on um, those first years of mobile hunting uh, was just always like the, the fact that I could go hunt any tree on any day at a different spot at all times. Like you just felt like you were in the game a lot more, man. Like you just, I, you, you could instantly see that the deer were not expecting you to be in a tree like that compared to a ladder stand that's been there for five years. Dude, it's incredible to me. I, I tell this story all the time, but when you get into those places where people generally cannot take a climber and it's too far for a ladder stand or whatever, the look on their face when you, stop the deer the the look on that deer's face is priceless it's like mm-hmm. if anybody's ever seen matt damon in the at the end of the the departed perfect perfect example like cannot believe you got the drop on him and it's too late by then well so. it's your preferably or what, what is it uh prefer, what's that word no i just i just i can say it in my head proverbial <laughs> proverbial uh deer in the headlights look literally <laughs> so, yes that's a, like yeah that's what i was trying to say <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they almost they almost had this look like they're looking out of the top of their eyes like they're almost like they it's like when a dog knows they're in trouble you know like yes, they don't yeah. want to look at you but they're are like they know you know i mean i'll just say it it's the oh shit look yeah. they can't mm-hmm. believe it yeah i got a question for you chris cuz you brought up how you know you used to hunt private and that was that was striking out for you it wasn't it wasn't what you were expecting or maybe even seeing on tv because you know in reading and and all that stuff now you're on public do you hunt any more private or is it for you because i won't lie to you like it is to me a very much a divide in the you know hunting world that it is privates here and publics here and if you're a private land guy, well, you know, or if you're a public land guy, you know, you're more privileged to have private land and you should be killing those bigger deer because you're on private and, and vice versa or whatever. Uh, do you see, you know, 
will you hunt more private? Are you against hunting it? Or, you know, where do you stand right there? So to preface this, I wasn't the worst hunter in the world too. I kind of made myself sound like I sucked. Um, I did kill 171 inch deer, a 162, and then like 138 inch eight. I got a 141. Like I've got some good deer and I've, I've killed all of those on private, but I was lacking consistency. I didn't like killing a big deer and then going two, three, four, five years before I killed another one. And um, so for me, that change came because of property lines. Um, you can put all the corn out you want. You can have whatever food plot you want. If you don't, you know, oftentimes we all know this, right? You you get these permission parcels. You can't go in there and hinge cut something and manipulate the land. And I think that's a lot of what some of these guys really enjoy, which is why they're, they're private landers. They, just like I enjoy going out and identifying oak trees, they enjoy their private land side of, you know, their projects. And, you know, they might ha not have to spend a full day scouting their place or whatever, but they put a shitload of work in. And to me, that's not to be discounted at all. For me, it was just recognizing that if a buck is bedded in spot X and I can't hunt that, I have no desire to want to go there. I still have farms that I'll go kill those on. And uh, like, I'll give you a perfect example. I've got a spot here in Ohio. I'm the only one with permission that can hunt it. I had a 12 um, on there last year that would be in the low to mid 50s. And then another deer as a clean 10 that would push 80. And I never hunted there just because I knew. Now, I will say I was a little wrong in that um, just due to like the PT. PTSD of what I've had, you know, wasting my time sitting there for no reason, but that 12 did daylight quite a bit early season. Um, but I would have had, you know, you got to run corn and all that. And I just, that's not how I wanted to do it anymore. And sure, really, you know, it's, it's one of those things where when you walk onto public land and you can find a hot tree, that's clearly getting pounded to hell and back by deer and set a camera up and you get a good one on it or something like I would rather do that because I don't have to buy the corn. I don't have to haul it. I don't have to go stink the area up, you know, three times over a month hauling corn or whatever, you know, bait. So um, definitely not against it when I have the right situation. I'm totally up for it. I just have, I have places that are public where I can glass deer, put up cameras on scrapes and have way, way, way better intel on the deer. And I mean, Last year, I killed first sit in Ohio on a good mature. I, I want to say that deer was either five or six. Um, I, I think he's definitely five, but um, I'd just rather do that. I like efficiency a lot. Yeah. Now, if I, I hunt multiple states too. So like if I only had Ohio, it would be a completely different situation. And I'd probably sit on that big 80, 180 or something like that, or even the 150. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, there's a, for me, there's a couple things unpacked there. One, you got my phone number now. So if you need me to come take care of one of those bucks down there for you, Chris, you just <laughs> let me know. Both of those are, both Sounds of those. Sounds like you I just need no... guys to occupy spots. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we're here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, right. but all bullshitting aside, when you talk about that, he was daylighted on that property. Now, was he daylighted because there was corn there or why was he, in your opinion, daylighting on that piece? Uh, so that buck 
it was very, it's so cool how this story has unfolded and I hope to God he's still alive. It'll be tough not to hunt him this year because this would be year four with that deer. So I let that deer walk in 2020. Um, I was hunting and he showed up and he, he looked like a huge bodied deer, but his rack, I mean, it looked like, you know, something you'd see in one of these other states. We won't mention names, but one of the other states that does not boast Ohio, Iowa type deer. I mean, it was a, the one side had like a spike and I mean, it was like a tiny brow tine. And then the other side looked really cool and regular, but I, I don't know if the deer would go 50 inches. Like it was just pathetic. Well, the Are following- you- are you saying are you saying you thought maybe one of these Michigan deer ventured down by you? <laughs> well, I just I always hear about how like there's a lack of, you know, mineral or whatever, and they're they're yeah. all forks and spikes. And I'm like, so that's kind of where I was going. But that that's not just Michigan, man. I hear that from guys in the yeah, south. Yeah, I'm just I'm giving you a hard time, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But um with that said, uh I thought, man, like hopefully that deer will be better next year. And and he was. He was probably in the thirties or forties the following year. Um, I would, I would say probably thirties, but as a massive deer with not a lot of points, I think he was like an eight. And then last year, man, he, he had a nice little spell where he, I don't know if he just got sick or injured or something that year, but the following year when he was in, we'll say the thirties, I was like, Oh man, you know, he's, probably like three or four here. Cause the whole time I'm like, Oh, that's just like a big body two year old or something. Just being a complete idiot. My, all of my buddies were like, uh, dude, I, I think that's like a really mature deer, like not yeah. just a four year old. And as I got to look and I'm like, I, I think you might be right. And then last year it was pretty clear. Like you're talking about like a six, seven, eight year old deer. And he blew up into the fifties and um, you know, if he stays the same, goes downhill a little bit, whatever, I, I really enjoy the history with deer and the adventure side of things more than anything. And so I would have him this year. And then that 180 inch deer got killed like the first week. Um, I, I got one series of videos of him and I had passed him as a three-year-old the year before. It was like 145 inch 10 with good fours. And, um, so I just all these deer I have history with was going to be really cool. And then that one died. The other one, I was like, eh, I don't know that all. And I didn't know he died until after the season. But, um, you know, I just didn't think I would really have a shot. And I knew I knew where I could go kill a deer and probably kill him first sit. And I actually ended up shooting a deer that was much more mature than all the other deer. But his rack was smaller. Um, he had went way downhill, but I. Again, you know, going over videos with your buddies, I looked at him and I'm like, man, that's a damn donkey, but I don't know what the hell happened to his rack, but we did have some pretty rough EHD that came through for a while last year, so I don't know if that affected it or what, but um, I had a pretty big eight that I had, had history with. I passed him as a three-year-old on my first sit on that public, and then last year, my first sit, I shoot that deer. And then here comes this eight. He's probably like 140, 145 inch eight pointer. He's a pretty big deer. And he and the bigger nine come right down sub like one's 25. The other's like nine yards all on video. I'm just sitting there like, damn it. 
<laughs> but now I have that eight confirmed alive, so I'm pretty excited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Nice, nice. And, and the last thing that I, I really wanted to kind of unpack there, just maybe that we could hit on, is, you know, I, I hear a lot of guys that have maybe made that transition. It kind of sounds like you have from the, the private to the public um i know aaron kind of dabbles with both i'm i'm probably 60 40 like kind of split um but i think a lot of times there are guys in states that maybe have like a lot lot bigger kind of public pieces of ground and not, i shouldn't say like big as in like acreage but like more miles on end of public where like it sometimes it just fits their hunting style better yeah and it, it's not that they're necessarily just picking the public over the private it's that, you know, they may have one or two good pieces of private, but they could be on each side of the county and they just, what they, the way they can hunt on the public is not how they can hunt on the private. And some, sometimes vice versa. There's a lot of guys that are really good at hunting small pieces of private that if you put them on public, like they, they can find like one or two good spots on there, but to take it all in at once and, and turn it all into like a, you know, success basically would be a different story. But it's basically like just a bigger playground that, like you said, doesn't really have boundaries in a way. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah. It's so basically you're you're saying you, you know, your reason for transitioning, because you definitely had success with with upper echelon deer on private. But your your reasoning was just to cast a wider net and, and to just kind of pull the boundaries off, which I totally understand that. Mm-hmm. I guess where I'm coming from is. You know, you also got to ask yourself is like, what do you want to, what do you want to get out of this? Like, and, and what, what does your lifestyle allow at the time? Because I can tell you this, you know, my lifestyle allows me to be able to hunt private in Michigan right now. Um, I've got two good private farms. I do. And they're, you know, one I've hunted for a very long time and the other one, you know, not as long, but a couple of years. And, but you know, for me to, to hunt any public, I have to go at least 35 to 40 minute drive one way. Okay. And you know, when, you know, when you go hunt public, you might find an area that's two miles off the beaten path that you might have to kayak into. And that could be the area you need to be in that Chris is an all day experience. Like that is like literally leaving on a middle of Saturday morning at 9am and being like, Hey wife, Hey kids, I'm leaving and I won't be back until midnight or something tonight. That's if I don't kill a deer. My life doesn't allow that right now. Like I've got a five-year-old 
I've got a, you know, I, we, my wife and I, we got a young family. My life allows, I, the, the good thing is I can scout just about every day. I, I do do a lot of scouting and, and I love that. I love that time. Uh, but when it comes to hunt time, I'm more of a surgical, like I'm going to strike now. And if I need to be in a tree in 20 minutes, I, I know I can get there. Um, I can't take a full Saturday to, uh, to trek back as far as, you know, and it might, might not be that it could be right off the beaten path, but also I'd be really pissed if I was, uh, sitting on a deer and had a couple dudes walking on me too. I'm just not over that hump of like, you know, the pressure too. I mean, and David knows my family farm, there's me and 12 other guys that hunt it on 220 acres. It's relatively basically like public land, you know? Um, and that is, that is pressure. That, that is, is pressure. pressure. <laughs> well, and David's been to that farm too, and it's not like a, it's a, it's 220 acres. It's, it's, it's a big chunk, but you know, 65 acres of that is all alfalfa field. So, you know, you can immediately take that out. So now you're looking at what, 160, 170 acres, but then it's a long skinny one, you know? So it's not like it, it, it definitely doesn't, you can't hunt 12 guys on it at once, you know? So, like um, access nightmare. it, and David knows I have access issues, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, um, it's very hard to, to consistently kill deer up there, you know, and, and decent deer. So, um, yeah, that was just my question and my, what I was, was wanted to pick your brain on because I hate the public land, private land battle. I hate it because you know what, we're going to Kansas this next year. I will go out of state. I will hunt public land. If I know I'm there on a hunting trip, I'll hunt public land till the cows come home. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I'm there to do that. I don't have to worry about my daughter. I don't have to worry about my wife. I can, I'm there to hunt and do that. That lifestyle allows me to do that in a 10 to 14 day form. Here, I just can't do that right now. Dude, the amount of people that I have had that I see comment on how easy it is to kill a mature buck over bait is staggering because it is probably 10 times harder when you're doing that on private than it would be to go hunt one down on public because you're going to basically play the waiting game. Sure. There is no, you're, you can only involve so much skill and then the property line cuts you off. So you can sit there and that's where, that's one of the reasons I got out of it. I'm tired of the 60 sit one state, 65, 70 plus 80 plus sits where, you know, maybe I'll see a deer, maybe I won't, but, but hopefully he walks by today. Like I, I'm not, I have three children and a wife and I'm trying to grow this expo thing. And I just don't have that kind of time to devote all in the month of, you know, basically the last week of October and into November. Sure. And you yeah. have four weeks basically where it's going to be good. Gun season for me has never been good. I think I've had one opportunity at a mature deer here in Ohio for gun season. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you, you, you think of it like this. Let's just say your your favorite train feature down in Ohio to hunt, Chris, is let's just call it a hub, okay? That's your favorite oh. one. You may have two pieces of private property that holds one hub on it. For if you go, you know, you drive an hour, hour and a half, whatever whatever it may the case may be, you go find a piece of public land that may have seven hubs on it. You know what I mean? Where it's like that, yeah. it's a different playground. You know what I mean? So it's it's yeah. each one, each one hunts differently <laughs> and each one has pros and each one has cons. It's just whatever your flavor is. Yeah. Now to hit on what you did say, Aaron, 
Um, it's always interesting to hear how people don't like a lot of my buddies who are very big on the private land side of guy, uh, side of things. Um, they really don't want their hunt messed up. And a couple years ago, I had a probably the best bachelor group I've ever seen in my life on the adjoining farm, like literally just over the property line. And they were coming into the field I had permission on. Well, those, the deer that I was hunting was probably going to be like over 180. He was huge. And I was just going to go out and kill him opening day. No problem. Right. <laughs> so I have all this planned out in my head and the person who somehow got permission in that piece of woods starts cutting trails, hanging stands in like August, never saw any of those deer ever again. They were bed. Like you could go film them every day. They were bedding there. I'm like, this is, this is going to be easy. And nobody had ever hunted there. And then boom, you know, it gets ruined. So I'm like, yeah, okay. But a lot of these permission pieces are probably worse than public. The majority of the places that are public that I pick, uh, you know, to put it the correct way, I, I get pretty bitchy when I'm going to them because it's a long drive. It's a long hike or kayak ride. I checked out a place yesterday that took 55 minutes to kayak to. So like what you said, not having the time, you are you are devoting an entire day if you do that. I had a three-hour drive, a 55-minute kayak ride, and then you have to go get set up. And, everything. and if you kill a deer, Jesus, <laughs> it's going to yeah. be crazy. Yeah. And I, and I don't, I don't want people to think that like, I'm not willing to put in that time. That's not the case here. That is not, I will work as hard as the next guy. And I love that part of it. You know, what is like, sounds like the most romantic thing in hunting for me to be able to kayak into a spot, kill a buck and kayak out with him and get pictures in the kayak. Like that's like, it's such a cool, like when I think about it, I'm like, that is like a pipe dream. You know, I definitely want to do that. And I, my life just cannot allow that right now. Like I, you know, I have one kid and you know, it's tough with one, you know, it really is. I couldn't imagine having multiple, but, um, I'm just not ready to sacrifice being a father, being a husband, being a good, you know, brother or sister or son or something like that, just for whitetails. And that might come to a shock as everybody, because I absolutely freaking love whitetails. I I do it every day of the year. That's all DJ and I really talk about other than Michigan football beating the shit out of the Buckeyes. Um, <laughs> had, you, you, you fuckers are getting cocky with your two years in a row. I love it, though. I really, as much uh, as I hate losing to Michigan, the rivalry needed that so bad, man. Yep, yep. It was basically getting to the point, and I, to to put it very clearly i host a party every year for that game and michigan fans are invited every year they come every year because it's not fun without the other side right like that's for sure for sure talking shit and everything but uh the yeah. rival needed that but i'm uh, yeah <laughs> and i agree i don't want to go down there rabbit hole because we'll go three hours talking about this yeah. but well, what i'm saying <laughs> yeah what i'm saying is like it's just all about you know, what your life can allow and what you want to, you know, you get to find that balance. And, um, I just hate hearing like this stigma of guys that are killing deer on public 
because and they're so much better than the guys on private or or even the guys on private like you know i i get the side of the guys on private saying all you know i've i've killed bigger deer than you i like i don't give a shit for that either like stop you know why like why Mm. everybody fucking forget about it like I, i i don't care like just go hunt you know i i just hate that I'm trying to I'm trying to stomp that stigma. <laughs> I, I love it, man. That's that's one of the feels of the expo and our whole everything that we do. Cause like I used to compete in archery and you always noticed that the guys who were absolutely killing it, all they wanted to do was help you. You're their competition and they want to help you get better, which is technically bad business. But the guys who sucked and would place 20th. They do everything they could to tear you down, talk about how you cheated or what, you know, make all this shit up, try to, to downplay it or whatever. And, um, you find that a lot with hunting. Some guys you run into can be complete douchebags. The world will always have douchebags and killers will always be killers. And I did all right on public. I'm doing all right. Or I, I did all right on private. I'm doing all right on public. I just, I think regardless of which side, you know, you hunt on. Um, I think guys who are devoted and students, those are the guys who are going to continue to learn and and get better. And uh, the dudes who want to down everybody, like you watch people on the internet. How do you have all that time to spend? Like you, nothing is worth my time to put down. Even the people I don't like, that's not worth my time. I need to save my energy to go scouting or take care of my kids or whatever. Like that's not worth it. Yeah. It, those are some great points. Great. I got points, a, I got a question for you and this is, um, I want I just getting your thoughts on it. Why does a guy that hunts public that might kill whatever deer could be 160, could be 170, 180, could be 130. I don't care. Like a good deer, a good, respectable deer. Why does that guy in the world of hunting media get put on a pedestal higher than a guy that might have done the same thing, if not more, on private? Um, so I'll try to answer this as best I can from my perspective. I think it's more attractive to the consumer because it's new. Um, I think there's a lot of guys out there like me that get sick of like the property line game and the waiting game and everything. I just think there's more, I think there, you know, you're looking at basically like an adventure in a place that, you know, the way it's depicted oftentimes, um, you know, it's, it's an adventure. Uh, now <clears throat> I will side with you though. Like there, there is a shitload of work on the private line, uh, private land game, especially if you're talking about management with, um, you know, the hinge cutting and the food plots and just mineral sites and the whole, the whole nine. Um, and I, I also think, you know, my goal personally is to bring the private land game to the public side. Cause a lot of guys are like, Oh, they won't get older than whatever. They won't get big on public. And like, well, the, the same reason why if you shoot a deer on farm X, because your neighbor neighbor will shoot it you're you're that neighbor well if you kill it on public he's never it's guaranteed that he won't grow up so i i enjoy passing the deer on the public land but 
I think maybe it's a, it's more attractive to the consumer and B I think there's a gigantic misunderstanding that private land is easier. Now for me, it's absolutely easier to scout a 100 acre or whatever piece of property, especially when half of its fields like that, I can breeze through that and I can tell right where I need to access. And there's probably going to be one place that I can pick where I would sit maybe two. There's going to be one way to access it more than likely because of where you can park and where you can access um, and then the terrain. But I just think people have this misunderstanding that it's easy and I got the hell away from it because it's not, it, it's a waiting game a lot of times. And then when you have, you know, like we talked about, I mean, it's like public land, but worse, I see way more people on the land that I have permission to hunt and on the adjoining farms, which fucks you up. Mm -hmm. and I, I saw, I literally didn't see a human being in 16 sits last year in three States. I saw one person on opening day on some private uh, far away. And then I saw one dude on private riding out on his e-bike in Indiana. That was it. And that neither of those guys affected me negatively. Yeah. Every other time I never heard a person saw a person, anything. And when you hunt here, shit, dude, there's people coming in on you and you know, you've got <laughs> fucking dogs that, run deer and all that which oh my god um had a farm out in adams county ohio that's highly touted here and dude i'd have giants and then you know the next day they're getting ran by dogs and like dude nah no thank you <laughs> that's a, and and that is kind of goes right into my point of like just because it's fresh in my mind i've got a really big like good buck bedding point on my private farm on my family farm okay and like i said there's like 12 other guys that hunt it and this bed is 200 and some yards from our cabin where everybody hangs out okay we've got a deer camp on there so we have one access into the farm and the way that this buck is laying in here or these bucks that lay in this bed the only way to hunt this deer in the morning okay the only way to if you want to hunt him in a bed in this bed is to get permission on the piece of ground to the north of the farm. They hunt as well. Come in from their direction and park, um, you know, on their farm. Let ha Hopefully they'd let it, you park on your farm. You have to have a southwest wind, in my opinion. Nobody on my farm can be hunting. I'm the only one that can hunt on the farm that day because of how the access is. Okay. Yep. So if anybody comes in driving through that field, because that's our only access through the main field, the whole morning's blown. The, I mean, because they're coming to the cabin, that's where everybody parks and disperses from there. There's a lot of things that got to go align and go right at the right time of the year for that, that one particular hunt to work. And yeah. I think a lot of people discredit that because I think a lot and nothing against Lee Lakoski's and the juries because they're just they've set themselves up for that way, which I don't discredit them at all. If I could do that um, shit, I, I would, why not? Like that's, that is, you know, a lot of fun and looks, you know, kill big deer every year and pass one seventies, but private's not that way. Like no. there's, there's a, a, a small percentage of people 
that have private can do that in the country. You know, um, I, I just hate the stigma of it. And it's because I'm a private land hunter. You know, yeah. I hate that, you know, killing a, a 140 on, on, you know, 40 acres with your bow in October on private is in, in a high pressured state like Michigan is just not credited as, and I'm not looking for credit, but I'm also looking at the guys that are like, you know, that kill something on public and they're like the next coming of Christ. And I'm like, like that's like his third buck he's ever killed. Like, and now all of a sudden he's just on every media outlet hub and he's like the next coming of God. And I'm like, huh? Like, what are we doing here? Like, we're like, what kind of info are we getting given away here? Yeah. Um, I definitely think that there's a misunderstanding with a lot of people and it really goes both ways. I talked to a guy who's a realtor, um, you know, basically controls land, right? Knows what good land is coming up for sale, lease, et cetera. And he talked about how it was easy to hunt in Ohio. I'm like, here we go. Like to me, in my mind, a mature buck is just, he's tough. He's a mature buck for a reason. Um, And he talked about how he leased, you know, X amount of acres, ran cells over corn and all that. And I'm like, well, yeah. And of course he's killing it, you know, late October, early November. And I'm like, well, yeah, like you're the only person that can hunt there. Mm. Obviously, it's a lot easier. Uh, you can do plots. He, he does the whole nine. Um, you know, go go on a regular piece of permission and try that. Go on public and try that. that it doesn't work that way. And I think it all boils down to what you kind of hit on earlier with like not having the time to do X, Y, Z. Everybody's got a different situation, man. And that's where we all just need to like, you know, we live in such a male dominated uh, industry where, you know, we're all full of testosterone. We want to be bigger than everybody and, you know, whatever. And we want to grow. But my question to everybody is, is why can't we all be on top together rather than me looking better because I do it this way versus this guy. And like, I can learn plenty of things from a private land guy. Because uh, to me, just like a mature buck is a mature buck, no matter what state, private, public, whatever, a killer is a fucking killer, and that'll never change. Amen, bro. Yep. And, Amen. And, and, ha- and having that open mindset, that that is why some guys will continue to always evolve, and some guys will be stuck in the mud spinning their wheels because you, they, you can't tell them anything. They're... They're so close-minded to everything outside of what they actually do. You know, it's you guys have made some great points. Um, I don't, I don't want to circle back too much, but you guys hit on something a while ago <laughs> that I had a question. It's kind of a fun question. Um, it would take us off this the public versus private just a little bit, but you, both of you guys talked about kayaking in for deer, and this is something that like I think about often. Is it almost seems like you know, white tails are so adaptive. And when it comes to like different styles of mobile hunting or hunting on the ground or um, in a tree or, you know, traditional or, or compound bow, like it, things kind of go in like cycles, in my opinion. Do you guys think, just a fun question here, do you guys think that these white tails, you know, kayaking was so deadly because no one was doing it? And the more that people do this, kayaking in for deer do you guys see these white tails adjusting and almost starting to live where 
people can't kayak in for deer. Like they, you know, like people are kayaking in, like, like Chris talked about, he had a long kayak in where the more and more people are doing this, the more and more the whitetails adjust and then just keep themselves closer or in a different area instead. Do you guys, do you guys think that, am I, am I out of the box thinking here? Like am I way overthinking it or, or what's your thoughts? <laughs> I got it. Chris, you can go first. I got a thought though. Um. <laughs> I was gonna let you go first. So. I'll go first. Okay. I think. Uh, I think. I'll, I'll go first. first. Hold I on. Hold you're... on. Hold on. Because, like, in another realm of thought, like, kind of the same scenario. Maybe I didn't paint that one, the picture good enough. Hill country, right? Like, when when everyone started getting on to the forums and reading about hill country, and you know, everyone, it was it was preached about just how they they had to bet on points, bet on points. But then the more people mess around on points, I think the more the whitetails adjust to that. And then you start seeing stuff where it's like, wait, that's not what they used to always talk about. Where it's like, it's not always the military crest. Because I think that the more human intrusion the whitetails see from specific things, they will just adapt and adjust to how they live. They have to live out there year round. Yeah. I think uh, with the kayaking thing, I think it would have to take uh, a massive, massive amount of hunters to to get them to adjust, I think. Right now, I mean, the percentage of people actually kayaking in and doing it on a regular basis, I think, is so small that I think, you know, even if Chris was to kayak in on, you know, every sit this next year, let's say you hunted 30 times, you kayaked in every time, I still think, like, you know, deer are going to adjust, but I think it goes back to the adage of, you know, if you do start bumping those deer, those deer, I think in a way they know that they won that battle. They, they, they're there for a reason. You know what I mean? They're they're They might be, they might be betting off the side of an oxbow that has a little dry Creek bed, but it's got some cattails in it and it's like six by six, but they know they can get every thermal coming around that oxbow and everything right there where they're at. And you're probably, you know, they're going to be there no matter what, because it's so bulletproof. I, I think they'll adjust a little bit, but the good spots I think will always be good spots. Like DJ, the bed that I have, that I've been breaking down on my family farm, that bed right there is, I think is always going to be there. And it's 200 yards from our, our cabin. They can see the cabin. They're, they're there for a reason. Um, I don't, I don't think it, uh, will change too much if that hopefully answers your question. No, I, I, no, you make great points, you know, like that, but that, that bed has been there to watch the people there. Yep. Now, a lot of the, the kayak stuff. So each in each state's different. Like if you're talking about kayaking into Michigan, that means you're probably going out to an Island somewhere. Okay. And in the beginning of those kayak, you know, like those, the first guys that first do that, like they, they were out on islands that the deer weren't used to people out there. Mm-hmm. And now, in, and like I said, you know, every situation is different. You're kayaking in Michigan, you're headed out to an island somewhere in the swamp or the marsh. That, that, that's pretty much what you're doing. Well, the, it can only hold so much. You know what I mean? So, like, but like Chris's, where he's kayaking is probably totally different than what I'm talking about kayaking into a spot in Michigan. Yeah. So I, it's interesting to hear how other people's minds work just like mine hearing him talk like to me a bed is a bed is a bed for a reason because it works 
And I think if you're doing your job, you can access places in a way that deer literally have no clue that you were ever there. Even when you kill one, it's just, everything is so clean. Um, and my, my buddy <clears throat> who, in my opinion, and, and, you know, I'm probably wrong in saying this, but I'll say it. He's one of the more accomplished kayak hunters that I've ever seen. Uh, water, we'll call it water access, but um, does very well. Hunts a lot of public, kills really big deer. Um, and he, he said it best, like the people that are kayaking to a spot and then walking a mile are like, what, what the fuck is the point of even doing that? Like, mm -hmm. unless there, it's the only way to access the place, which often it's not, um, for me, kayaking is a thousand percent about access. It's cool too. It's an adventure. And I know some people call it a fad right now, but the fad is the people buy a kayak, do it twice and never do it again <clears throat> because they're not doing it right in the first place. Um, when I can kayak down a, you know, some sort of Creek river stream, whatever, I'm controlling every bit of my scent. It's not going anywhere else, but in that water and it's flowing right down. And generally it's staying right down there with me and not going up where the thermals are. Oftentimes I'll, I'll beach my kayak or leave it floating and tie it off. And I'll be within 10 steps of my kayak. So I'm not leaving any kind of ground disturbance for deer to come across very much. And it's like, then when you get into the thermals, like if you stay low down by the water, your thermals stay right there. And a lot, I know, you know, public and public land guys catch a lot of shit. And, uh, for a while when I was hunting on private, I was 25, 30 feet every time. Now I'm one or two sticks high. Like I killed my Kentucky buck in hill country last year from a single stick high. And I know, you know, there's certain people out there that do it and catch shit for it or whatever, but it's effective. Uh, they don't expect it. I think you're able to control your scent in a different way, a little better. But when you stay down there by that water, you're golden. If you just walk up and get on a bank or something, it's a completely different experience. And you can literally watch, you can feel the thermal pool going right up the hill. And then you walk up, you find their beds and you're like, well, that's why I didn't see a deer. That's This is clearly why. And then when you stay down by the water, here come all the deer. I think I saw 13 deer last year on opening day. Eight of them were bucks. Three were shooters. Like you could probably, depending on who it is for. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know that they'll ever truly adapt to it because I think that, you know, if you're, if you're doing it right, you're not going to get caught. And if you're doing it wrong, it worked. If you keep pressuring that spot or whatever, that's fine. But kind of what Aaron said, I think the percentage of people that do it are so small because a it is a bitch to kayak in to anywhere very far. It's not super time efficient. And then like, let's say you add moving water, you either need somebody to pick you up or drop you off, or you need a motor or to be able to paddle portage upstream. Do that with a deer on, on your kayak. Now, whether you go up or down, it could be really tough real quick. So You've got the work and time side of it, or you need to have a lot of money and go buy a $5,000 kayak with a motor that can, can do that. So 
Um, I don't think it'll ever be an issue. I think a lot of people call it a fad right now, but those people don't understand why we're using a kayak, which that's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, good points. Good point. DJ, I think also um, thinking a little bit further in this, you know, taking the 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 point betting to like if, if you were to compare, I don't, you know, that's pr- not the premise of your question, but like I think like a point betting compared to like a kayak i think a lot more people are bumping deer on points because there's more foot traffic and i i think they might i think they'd be more apt to uh move and like uh what's the word i'm looking for like like adapt and move and get out of that area because of that on like a on like a hill country setting rather than a kayak because man I haven't done any kayak hunting um but I have a buddy that does it and he does it quite a bit and he talks about how many deer he sees while he's in his kayak just like streaming along like and they never run mm-hmm. he's like they never freaking run um now is he seeing mature bucks I mean yeah no he's seeing more more does and you know younger deer and everything but he's like they just watch me you know and like they're just not a threat to him so um i don't know for the little bit of experience i have no experience at all kayaking i just think the 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 hill country point bedding they'd be more apt to like kind of move off and 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 find a different point or find a different drainage or something opposed to the kayaking i guess no no i, I no. you guys make great points that's why i asked the question you know i mean that's you know, because like around here, you know, we you don't have any major like river systems and stuff like that. Like if you're going to put a kayak in, it's going to be into a ditch to get yep. up to an island, you know. So like there's a hard stopping point out there. So sure. it's a little bit different than like, say, a river system flowing, you know. But I, it's just because like I look at some of the ground I hunt and everything else is hunted, you know. And when it, when it got real, everyone wanted to you know, walk farther than everyone else. So everyone goes to the back and what the deer do, they come to the front now. You know what I mean? We're like, they did. and it's a cycle. Like I, it's, it seems like a cycle because when I see when people don't have success doing something for two or three years, they'll usually give that up. Right. And then they'll just readjust to things, you know? Well, so I, I think that goes back to the point Chris talked about. He wasn't being as um consistent on the private, you know what I mean? Like we going back to the initial conversation when we started this mm-hmm. an hour ago, as Chris was talking, he, his consistency wasn't where he wanted it to be. Um, I definitely see that on private. You know, it is, in my opinion, it is so hard to be consistent on private. It really is. And especially if you are on the same private, same piece, um, excuse me, <coughs> like, let's say you only have permission to hunt or hunt one piece of private. It is so hard to kill a buck year after year on that piece. I don't care who you are unless you're part of the one percenters, you know, mm-hmm. the Lee Lukoski's, the juries. It is so difficult. And um, it just goes to show that the playing field, whether there are no hunting signs on that and it's private or it's public walk-in, wherever, the playing field is equal. You're going to get pockets you're going to get pockets in different areas that might be a little different. Cause I have a piece that I hunt that I'm me and one other guy are the only ones that hunt it in bow season, that whole square mile. Okay. You go another square mile to the West. There's 13 guys that hunt it. 
I get that that is going to be different. But the playing field, what my square mile, the reason why there's only two guys that hunt it is because there's about 30 trees on the whole square mile. Okay. So that in itself makes it harder because you're sitting like a turd in a punch bowl out in a, in a fence row and you're just, <laughs> you, your, your, your windows are so difficult. Your windows might be October 1st through the 5th and then just hoping one comes by in the rut, you know, yeah. because you're just hoping a doe brings one by. I'm sorry. It's fucking boring to do that. I get off by doing it because I know where that deer's betting and I know that he's going to make a mistake and I'm going to kill him here. And then when people look at and you're like, where did you kill that deer? And I'm like, right there. And they're like, in those three trees. And I'm like, yep. To me, that is the coolest fucking thing ever because yeah, I can go to 4,000 acres of public and, you know, all trees and everything. And that's awesome too. Not discrediting that, crediting that at all, but to beat a deer out in the middle of a section where there's nothing, maybe a little drainage that divides two fields that has some cattails in it or some CRP that leads up to these three trees and you see him pop out and he was bedded in those cattails and he walks right to you and kill him on October 13th. That is the fucking coolest thing ever to me. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just so, love that. Those yeah. sort of shithole looking places that everybody's like, oh yeah, good luck or, you know, whatever. Okay. Let me show you why there's deer here because everyone thinks that way yeah. and they've been safe for so long. Yep. And that's why Chris. I look for those. Sorry, DJ, one more thing. That's why open. I look for those open areas. I love to hunt the open. I look for those because people don't want to hunt those. I know that in the matter of time, there will be a good deer that comes through here. And it might be a certain scrape that you can hunt over. It's going to be boring as shit. You might only see about three deer for a week. But one of those three is more than likely going to be a deer of a lifetime. It could be, or just a shooter buck in general. Um and so. We had a we had a local guy that killed like a it was like a two hundred and twenty seven inch like something just ridiculous right sorry Michigan guys um, <laughs> dude, dude was he just killed it and he had this really good piece of property and he called it a rut funnel I'm like okay cool so following year I get a buck on camera. He's a three-year-old clean 12 time length. This is, <clears throat> this deer's like low fifties as a three-year-old. And I'm like, all right, here's my 200 inch ticket. I I have a five acre parcel with maybe one acre, one and a half acres of woods and trees and all that. But the rest of it was a horse pasture that had been left to grow up. So ESG saplings, whole nine, right? that deer relocated and that was going to be my 200 inch ticket and wouldn't you know the guy so as this deer is three that dude kills that 227 the deer relocates two miles away and goes into his fucking rut funnel and he shoots <laughs> and it it went low 90s as a four-year-old so that deer i mean he wouldn't have been 200 but I'll never pass, you know, well, I shouldn't say never, but likely that I'm not going to pass 190 inch deer when it's 20 inches bigger than my best. No. And that's where I had killed my 170. So I thought, and like, 
the year I got to hunt, well, hunt where that deer was, I wasn't hunting him. I got to watch him stand up out of his bed the whole nine. I'm like, God, this is going to be the coolest story and I'm going to kill you next year. And I had uh, four encounters with him. Three were like shootable all on film. And I'm like, this is just like, this is going to be next level shit. And then he just goes and gets gut shot on a farm (laughs) two miles away. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, man. The guy grass bagged him. (laughs) Oh, dude. So that's another reason why I was like, you know what? Fuck this private shit. I'm going to public where everybody's like, ah, that's too hard. I don't have time or whatever. Like I'll go put in the time. I'll go do the hard shit and bitch at myself and question my sanity and maybe I'll kill deer. So I got pretty pissed after that. Yeah. No, I, I totally <laughs> get that. And like the the whole open concept, like the whole open ground thing, I just I love it because it, it it very much goes into my style of like I like to sit back, watch it, you know, and and watch a deer do his thing and then and then move in on the right time. Um I really like to do that. Uh and it's worked for me. And that, that allows me, my mornings are shot in the fall, like around here. I, I, you know, my wife works earlier than I do. I work from home. So I got to take my daughter to school every day. What do you think I do when I come back home? I drive around the section and if there's a deer I can do a spot and stock on, guess what I'm going to do? You know, um, I just love that style. So sorry, DJ, go ahead. What was your question? Oh, no, I was, I had one more question for, uh, Chris on the, the kayak thing. I was going to paint a scenario for him kind of uh, make them pick one or the other all right if when you're kayaking into a place to hunt would you rather have a place that's not getting much kayak traffic all summer long where it's like you you or maybe just one other guy are doing that or would you rather be kayaking into a place to hunt that maybe has a lot of like recreational kayakers throughout the summer that maybe the deer around there are used to seeing people on that water i like that question um thinker now no, he's got the look I'm, on his face like i don't want to say because i've got two scenarios yeah. like that <laughs> so i'll i'll say it um i would prefer kayak traffic um that that's kind of where i was leaning towards but i was like oh, i i could see arguments for either side so i floated right past all of those bucks last year just like everybody else does and parked a couple hundred yards down and then walked all the way upstream through the water and just stood there popping milkweed just out of sight and, you know, staying low, staying close to the water and everything. And literally like describing that to my friends, I felt like I was stealing or like cheating or something because these bucks watch people kayak mm-hmm. past them all the time and they're making noise and everything. And then you got, you know, the, the people on the private that are freaking, you know, talking and riding their quads to their stand and I could <laughs> hear them. And then 10 minutes later, the deer po- start pouring down. I'm like, this is nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yo. I'll take the traffic. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I like that because it makes you think like, you know, do you want to go incognito and or do you just want to be part of the uh Saturday beer crowd that's just kayaking down there, you know? That's well, I I think it I think it could play a big difference, dude. You know what I mean? We're like, you know, let's say the buck you're after, he's he's seen, you know, 200 people all summer long. 
mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden we're like, you know, you got that buck bedded, let's say, on that oxbow, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, this is the second guy I've seen come through here since hunting season. Like, what's yep. going on here? You yep. know, we're like, I, I think that's a big, that's a big factor, you know? It's funny to get all the looks from the kayakers as you're like going up a sycamore tree and they're just looking at you trying like, what in the hell could you be doing? Are you a forest? <laughs> you studying what? trees? Like, what and the then, hell? And then you know what happens. Once you're all set up and everyone that comes by and sees the empty kayak, they're like, oh, he's taking a shit in the woods for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm normally pretty good about finding a little like drainage ditch or something and hiding it, but it just all depends. Cause if I can get away without making any noise, I just tie it off and let it just hang right in the, the flow of the water. And, but one of these times something's going to get fucked up and I'm going to walk down there and a branch broke or whatever. And I'm like, well, guess we're walking a few miles downstream <laughs> swimming. You yeah, know, I like it. Good stuff, man. I like that. Well, Chris, we're a little over an hour in on this. I want to, I want to, hit on some mobile hunters expo that's coming up next week i mean we're a week out from the show a week because this will be dropping you know as we're recording this this is going to be dropping on friday so everybody listening to this it is friday but it's dropping or uh mobile hunters expo is going to be next friday down in kalamazoo michigan um friday the show starts at three correct yes yeah three to eight on friday eight to four p.m on saturday with the latitude film festival yep uh right after four to six and then we are 9 a.m to 3 p.m on sunday okay and uh i want to touch a little bit on that latitude film festival so we have a lot of good films um i've watched them they are sweet there's some really good ones in there i'm excited about this uh derek and i are going to be hosting it so in between the films i think we're going to be giving out a lot of door prizes we've had a lot of people and companies um come forward and just kind of want to give out swag or you know little you know door prizes and everything and also there's going to be prizes for the winners some good prizes we got zamberlin boots you got zamberlin boots to come on board um awesome boots for that uh garmin has come on board to to give away an inreach mini and then helix broadheads as well is another one that's that's uh giving away some heads so um it's going to be cool it's uh four to six on Saturday and it's going to be right after the show basically ends and people can just kind of go over there and watch it. And um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the show because I have yet to be to the show and Friday breakdown of how Friday is going to hash out, you know, you know, it starts at three, but like what, it, what could people expect to see on Friday? So I'll have to confirm times with Josh, but essentially um, you'll be able to come in and try out literally almost any mobile hunting gear you want. We've got trees that we cut down um, and put some climbing poles together for you guys to be able to try, you know, sticks, stands, platforms, saddles, whatever you want. Uh, the majority of the things that you try, you'll be able to purchase right there and take home with you. You don't have to wait for it to ship, pay for shipping. And a lot of times these guys are offering discounts as well for show specials. Um, Once we get into probably evening time, if I had to guess somewhere around five o'clock, but that's purely a guess because I haven't looked at it yet. um, We will have a 
panel of all of our guest speakers, which include Dan Infault and uh, one of his guys, uh, Josh Toker, I think it is. Yep. And then um, Sam Abel. We've got uh, Garrett Prawl, the DIY sportsman, and then Dieter Cock and from Whitetail Addictions. So those are our guest speakers, and they'll all be doing a panel-style Q&A, which will be hosted by the Fall Podcast and the Southern Outdoorsman. So it'll be a good time. Any questions you have, God, ask them. You will not look or feel dumb. It, it I know it can be intimidating to talk or ask a question in front of a crowd, but this is where we have the most fun and learn the most. And if you don't ask the questions, you know, there's 20 other people sitting there thinking the same thing. So just make sure you ask. Um, well, so that's what, that's what those speakers are there for is to answer questions. Yes. It's not for them just to come in, just puke out of their mouth of like who they are and everything. It's, it's a, it's a Q and a like ask questions, ask. I've been a part of them and I've actually been the speaker in a couple of different shows. And when people don't ask questions, that makes it actually tougher on the speaker. Yeah. So ask questions. Yeah. Ask all you can. So, um, as I said before, that'll run till eight. There's, there's, um, you know, nothing else really crazy going on on Friday. And then when we get into Saturday, mid morning, uh, probably around 11, 1130 or so we'll start, um, each guest speaker will do a little Q&A session as well on uh, various topics, and that'll run the majority of the day. And then again, you know, we've got the Film Fest, which I can't say enough about. We started it last year, and Latitude uh, was a part of that, and now they've they've kind of really taken the majority of that off my plate, which has been lovely. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, learning to edit a film festival was way tougher than I thought, but, um, that's going to be a good time. Uh, it is, you know, a whitetail hunter's dream, especially if you appreciate really good content, if you're a self filmer at all, or, or want to be that's, there's going to be a shitload of those people in that film festival. Uh, we, we get a lot of comments about how the, the shows, you know, based on gear, but it's actually education. It's the ability, you know, this mobile hunting thing, it's not a climber. You don't just pick it up and go up a tree and, you know, we've all done it forever. There's there's a lot of aspects to it that can be very frustrating if you don't have somebody to teach you certain tips and tricks to go up and down a tree safely and efficiently and to be able to maintain comfort. Um, so, and then when you get into the guest speakers, I mean, they're all just a wealth of knowledge. Um, and really a lot of them have influenced, you know, you look at like a Garrett Prawl, that dude has literally influenced mobile hunting so, so much. So it'll be really cool to, to hear all these guys talk. And it's, you know, it's a deer camp feel. Everybody gets along. There's no drama, no bullshit, nobody trying to gimmicky sail somebody into something stupid. Uh, I've been, I've been took, at shows before and <laughs> I will not let that happen at hours anyway. So, yeah. um, but anyway, uh, and then we get into Sunday and it's just, uh, we don't have the guest speakers speaking that day. Um, we just have, you know, the ability to come and, and meet all the people at the companies and try out their gear and buy what you'd like. Cool. Yeah. I, I tell you what's, what's really cool about this show is 
you know, for the mobile hunter, there is no better time than get to get in it than it is right now. But being able, if you were able to attend this show, being able to look at and get your hands on a lot of these products that you mainly kind of only see on the internet. You know, some are in stores, but for the most part, these are a lot of like on the internet. You got to look at them and order them. Where here you can actually get your hands on it. And I also wanted to hit on something, Chris. If I understood correctly, when you guys um, decided to bring these speakers on, now these are northern deer hunters. These aren't guys throughout across the U.S. If I if I've done my homework right, you got three guys from Wisconsin and one guy from uh, actually the UP of Michigan. So these yeah. are all northern deer hunters. Yeah, I I think it's kind of. I mean, again, back to our conversation about you know watching shows and stuff before and. Uh, it not being realistic. It's absolutely unrealistic to live and hunt in Michigan and think you're going to have the experience of a guy in Iowa. Mm -hmm. It's not happening. And I also think that it, you know, in my opinion, it's kind of a gimmicky sales tactic because everybody, we all love big deer. I, I freaking love big deer, but the fact of the matter is it's, it's not realistic for you. So why have a show you know, that has a dude from Illinois, Ohio, Iowa. I don't feel like that's completely being truthful. Um, and it it's not really giving people what they want. I feel like people would rather, and they're catching on and understanding that they need to hear education from people that have their situation. And, you know, the same thing with the South, that it was a lot easier picking people from Michigan. I didn't know the majority of these guys from the South at all. And, I feel like a lot of people don't get attention on, you know, social media or whatever because of the size of the deer, but a mature deer is a mature deer is a mature deer. So I would rather be able to tailor that to a region, which that's what we'll continue to do. We're going to do one, you know, probably in like a PA or something and have all, you know, Eastern and Northeastern hunters, Eastern seaboard guys. And then we'll probably put one out in like an Iowa or Missouri or something and That'll be the Midwest show with the guys sure. that we all already know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's very, very uh, niche. It's tailored directly to the North. So if you're a, a guy in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, you know, wherever up there, Canada, maybe um, hit us up. You'll have fun and it's no bullshit. Yeah, for sure. So everybody wanting to know that is going to be in Kalamazoo, Michigan at the Kalamazoo County Expo Center. The address is 2900 Lake Street, Kalamazoo, Michigan, 49048. The dates are July 28th, 29th, and 30th. Um, Friday, the 28th, just to reiterate what Chris said, the show starts at 3 and goes till 8 p.m. Saturday is from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. with the Latitude Film Festival starting at 4 to 6. And then Sunday will be um, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So. Chris, where can people get tickets? Do you have to get tickets and, and how do you get into the door? So tickets are $20 at the door and 18 online to purchase tickets. You just go to our website, themobilehuntersexpo.com and you can purchase tickets to the Northern show easily. There's a few guys out there, I think that have codes as well. That'll get you another two bucks off or something, I think. Um, but uh, the the ticket purchasing super simple you can do it i can't say it enough you can buy tickets at the door or online and it is open to the public uh, this is a con you know what they call a consumer show um 
bring yourself, your family, and a thousand of your closest friends. There you go. Well, Chris, thank you very much for coming on today, man, and uh, chatting it up with us and talking about uh, the Mobile Hunters Expo, man. So yeah. we'll see you next. Uh, we'll see you next Friday, and I'm sure we'll we'll drink a beer or thirty together. So we'll we'll, we'll get. To- <laughs> We're gonna have some beer and bourbon, boys. I really appreciate it a lot. Yeah, sounds good, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.